Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate, personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. Our guest today is Julia Murney. She's currently starring in an amazing ensemble cast of a completely rewritten production of Baby, which is a early 80s Tony-nominated play about three couples and their their journey about uh, their journey to have children and parenthood and whatnot. But uh, she's explaining in the episode that there's a lot of outdated tropes that they have currently rewritten and are completely redoing it. It sounds so amazing. And, of course, we get into her history as an alphaba, one of the early alphabas. And <laughs> she said, every witch loses her mind. We talked about the pressure of being an alphaba and, you know, of course, what that entails. And... I'm just going to give you a spoiler. Her good friend and composer of The Wild Party, Andrew Lippa, crashes our interview. I texted him and let him know that I was interviewing Julia. And of course, he just loved the idea of crashing and saying hi. So we have a little bit of a three-way conversation about halfway through the episode and to finish it out. You know the normal stuff. Leave a rating and a review. Find me on social media at theater underscore podcast. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Julia Murney and special guest, Andrew Lippa. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Today's guest is someone I've admired from afar for a long time, and now I am very honored to be able to interview. She originated the role of Queenie in Andrew Lippa's Wild Party, which earned her her first Drama Desk Award nomination and became one of the most well-known alphabas in both the National Tour of Wicked and then on Broadway after making her Broadway debut in the show Lennon in 2005. She was nominated for her second Drama Desk Award for Falling and has an incredibly diverse resume outside of the stage as well, which includes Sex and the City, NYPD Blue, 30 Rock, Elementary, Madam Secretary, and Succession, among many others. She can currently be seen in the Out of the Box Theatrics production of the Tony-nominated musical Baby, which just opened on November 14th. Julia Murney, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Merci pour le bébé. Thank you. Well, thank you for, for being here. I I know time is short. This is so much fun. I'm so honored to be talking to you now. So I wanted to dive right in. And uh, obviously we're coming back out. Uh, we're coming out of COVID. Everything is starting to return. I want to just make an asterisk here that saying, you know, Broadway, people say Broadway is back. Broadway is back. And I want to say Broadway is safe. That is like mm-hmm. something we need everybody to know because there's the the demographic of people that normally come to see shows just because they're on Broadway that are still not, they don't still, they don't feel safe yet. So in your experience now, you're, you're opening this new show or you're opening uh, this revival of the show. 
So tell us about Baby and tell us about what's been going on coming out of COVID for you. Um, well, I would, I would certainly call this more of a revisal than a revival uh, because the book is, uh, I mean, to a great extent, entirely rewritten. Really? Um, yeah. The score is the same. The score is the same delight that everybody knows from many, many years. But um, if, if you've noticed, it's uh, likely that in the last, I'm going to say 20 years, you probably haven't seen a production of Baby. There, it's not done a lot. And the reason is it's incredibly dated. It's incredibly time capsule Time capsule That's a, an official language. I'm going to um, add that to the dictionary. Done thank it. you. Yep. Uh, to 1983, basically, to when it was on, when it opened originally on Broadway. And everything has changed. Everything has changed from the... Uh, the what was once upon a time a a typical st- or stereotypical demographic on Broadway in terms of casting, uh, as well as what it's like to have a baby. Frankly, mm-hmm. now, I mean, yes, the basic you know the basic <laughs> one to three of it is the same. <laughs> Biology still the term, same. But for example, the it's three couples for anyone who doesn't know it's, it's about three couples who find themselves pregnant or are trying to get pregnant and they're at different stages of life. And the older couple, uh, we, myself and Robert Fowler, who plays my husband, we are just about 10 years more or less older than the, than the characters were originally written. And part of the reason that had to change is that in, 19, in the 80s, a woman who was 40 discovering that she's pregnant was definitely a, ooh, what are you going to do? Mm. Now, a woman discovering that she's pregnant in her 40, when she's 40 is like, and? And so that had to shift because that's, that's what their entire sort of forward motion of that particular pairing is. The middle pairing is now uh, a, a, a pair of lesbians. Nice. Which is amazing, but which means a huge amount of rewriting have to be has to be done because originally it's written as a, a man and woman who are desperate to get pregnant and can't. And it's kind of about him being this virile Italian man who's shooting blanks and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, fun fact, that's not how lesbians make babies. So, <laughs> um, so it's, it's much more about, it's about that journey. Um, and, and the younger couple who their sort of conflict is generally just that they're in college, that they're young. But um, it also happens to be, so uh, Liz Fleming, who is one of the, the co-artistic directors of Out of the Box, which is the company that's producing this, um, she uh, is also, she's legally blind. And uh, Richard, so when they did this, like I think maybe over just about two years ago, over two years, and well, it must be over two years ago now with, what just happened, uh, covidically. Um, <laughs> covidically. That's another, yeah, that's have, another word I'm adding to the dictionary. I have a lot of made up words. <laughs> <laughs> I really like covidically though. All right. But I will, I will sell them as if you will find them in the dictionary. So. <laughs> um, uh, I, I didn't see it. I wasn't a part of it. Um, but uh, n- that time they, I think they had the notion to want to do this, but they didn't have the permission to do rewrites. 
And then uh, I think in the finally in the middle of their short run, they got Richard Maltby t- to attend, who wrote, he didn't write the book, but he wrote the lyrics and he directed it originally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Richard uh, came. And so now they, Richard has rewritten the book, but it wasn't whoever saw it two years ago, the very few people who got to see it because it was done like in a loft apartment somewhere uh, that could seat, I think, 18 people. Uh, I mean, our space only seats 60. It's not like it's the Hippodrome, but um, uh, it, it's a complete, it's, it's totally different because now it's been, everything's being addressed or trying to be addressed. I keep yeah. calling it, it's a great experiment. It's like, we'll, we'll see if it works. You know? I, I really love that idea because you go back, um, uh, the metaphorical you uh, go, <laughs> goes to, to you hear all the time, like, if you can see it, you can be it, right? And to see two same-sex couples and to see interracial couples and to see all of this necessary representation finally on stage, it's it's so refreshing and it's so unbelievably necessary. Um, it's very much what... Um, I'm probably going to mangle this, but like the out-of-the-box, their mission statement, I guess, mm-hmm. is to really push to cast and write and present with underexposed, that's not the right word, uh, you know, representation, underrepresented. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this is a very diverse cast. And, um, and that was certainly, I, I didn't know them or anything, nor did I know almost anyone involved. And so that was actually the first question I asked when I got the offer was, I mean, I had a a few questions, but one of them was, what's the racial makeup of this cast and this creative staff? Mm -hmm. Because frankly, I know Richard Maltby. I've worked with Richard Maltby and I love Richard Maltby. And Richard Maltby is a, you know, a mature white cis gentleman. Yes. And, and, and this is a show about not, not mostly mature white cis gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but he's, I've been so impressed, frankly, with how open he has been and the amount, I mean, he is still a, a heterosexual white cis man. That, that has not changed. Um, but his, the, the amount of um, uh, like sort of dramaturgy that he's gotten from the folk who are properly, squarely in the characters that are being presented and and he's really open and he'll kill me for saying this. He just turned 84. Whoa. And yeah. Now, uh, if you think of like, I don't know, you're 84 year old grandpa or something. And if you were like, Hey, I'm going to tell you all the things that you can no longer do from the thing that you wrote and that has been your love for 30 plus years, your grandpa might be like, what? And he is, he is not doing that. I mean, every day hey, something comes up and he rolls with it. And someone's like, um, either I wouldn't say that a woman wouldn't say that a black woman wouldn't say that a whatever, whatever it is. And he's just completely open. He understands. It's, it's incredibly impressive to me. It really, it's, it's impressive to me on a daily basis because I have not once seen him get defensive. For somebody. Yeah. Yeah, for somebody uh, of that 
of that uh, level of experience mm -hmm. who has grown up uh, basically in charge of the industry for most of his career, I would say. that that That's very impressive. But it's really impressive. It's, I, 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 it, and, and sometimes he makes fun of himself. He'd be like, oh, like something came up the other day because there's a sequence where there's a working out is going on. But as, as originally written, she's using a pulse, oh, literally in the script, a pulse-o-matic <laughs> to test her pulse. And, I mean, it's so, we're like, okay, that's all got to go. And, but, and he was like, oh, here we go. I'm going to get dragged because I don't know. And we're like, yep. But he's, he's so good natured about it. So was, was the script already, had it already started to be adapted um, when it came to you? Because you were saying that you just gave an example of where it came up live in, in during rehearsal, I guess. And you're like, it has yes. to change. Uh, no, I mean, it came up when they did it two, two plus years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, the script was very much already in flux. Uh, when I came into it, I think what was discovered, what they had just started to discover, and I put a full court press on it, um, was the part where um, I think because the middle couple's trajectory is so different, they've had to pay so much attention mm -hmm. to that. Um, oh, and I'm so, forgive me, I'm going to go backwards for a second. So the younger, the younger couple that's in college. Liz in real life is legally blind mm -hmm. and Johnny who is playing Danny is um, partially deaf. That's so now, cool. Here's, here's, this is like a sad thing that I don't know the answer to. And when I get to rehearsal today, I'm going to ask, I promise. So I can have the proper answer. I know that with Liz, Richard Malpy was very much like, because Liz's condition is genetic. Her father is blind. Like, what does that mean in terms of passing on genes? And he was like, well, we need to address it. I don't know if they went and then tried to find someone who was deaf or if he, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the, the math was there. He can hear somewhat when he, he uses a, a hearing aid, but we have an interpreter there every day, a sunlight, an ASL interpreter. And, um, and he's awesome. I mean, and you wouldn't necessarily know, but it is very addressed. Isn't there, there's an ASL interpreter um, for every performance, right? Like for the I audience? Think, I don't know if there's one for every performance, but I know that there are very specific ones. We had one just the other night. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's really, <laughs> cool sounds i don't mean that that sounds debasing and i don't mean it that way it's it's it's, it's refreshing. refreshing it's refreshing it's refreshing to see this and and yeah. Yeah, so the show runs through december 12th at theater yeah. lab at 357 west 36th street third floor here in new york city um, oh and that's that's what i was going to say to you is that they hadn't paid a lot of attention to the older couple because they were kind of like we'll just make them 10 years older and i got in there and i was like richard uh, the way that couple was written said, unless you are making them simple in the head or evangelical Christians, we're going to have to do some rewrites because they were <laughs> incredibly square. And, and if this is taking place in today, which is the whole point, it, there was um, stuff. I'm like, is she a moron? What are you saying? <laughs> like, that's, they can be people who have been over. She could be a woman who's been overwhelmed by having, we even had to do things like um, in the original, they have three daughters 
who had the youngest of whom has just graduated high school and left the house. And I did the math. And I was like, Richard, we have to have four daughters. Because the whole idea is that she hasn't had any time to be like an adult without children. Yeah. But if when I did the math, it was squarely that if we only had three, there was time for her to, but if you have four, so we, so we've got four now. Wow. Well, I, I love, I love that your career trajectory, I, I obviously was researching you for, um, for the episode here and you've got voiceover work, you've got uh, video game work, which is also uh, a bit of voiceover in TV and commercial and film and all sorts of things. And it's, it's, Interesting to me to to see your trajectory and have it all come kind of uh, to this moment now because um, I think it sort of it sort of I guess uh, I was gonna say it parallels a little bit of of your career to end up where you are now but um, I want to go back to where you started because you I know you went to LaGuardia High School so did you grow up in New York City I did I did I, I grew up about five ish blocks from where I live now Oh really. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's really, you could call it a lot of things. Sometimes I call it sad, but sometimes it's great. I don't know. <laughs> well, so when did you know that you wanted to get into performing and when was the, the singing, where did this fall into place? Um, well, my dad's an actor, so I was always around it, but I was not a child performer at all. I mean, you know, I like made up shows in my bedroom, like kids do, you know, just to have fun. And there were certain cast albums that I knew. I mean, the first cast album that I ever knew was Jacques Brel is Alive and Well and Living in Paris because that, that was, show. my parents had it. And, you know, children don't listen to Jacques Brel, but I just liked the song Carousel because I would run around in circles. Um, and then the, the really, the big one was Annie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't matter if you knew theater or not. If, if you were a little girl in the 70s, you knew Annie, period, stop. Um, and, uh, when I went to junior high, around the corner <laughs> from where I live, sort of, um, my a bunch of my friends were like, we're going to do choir. And I was like, okay. Like, I had no, I just followed them because that's what they were going to do. And this remarkable woman, Josephine Morris, um, was the chorus director. And we would do, I mean, it was a serious chorus in that we would go and do um, uh, competitions like we went to Atlanta and Philadelphia and Great Adventure. And there would be these, you know, competitions from all over the country. Choirs would come. And, and um, we, you know, that was the beginning of me falling in love with singing. I was never particularly confident about it, but I liked the notion of the singing. And I think it, it's in, it makes sense to me now knowing like who I am and how I am that, my first love of singing came from singing as a group. Like there's safety in numbers and, and, and a nice feeling of camaraderie when, and you're not exposed and you're not, but, um, but she was the one who really instilled that love of music. And then she was very clever because she figured out a great trick for any of us who wanted to audition for what at the time was music and art and then became LaGuardia. My junior year, we moved into the building that is now LaGuardia. But anyway, um, where most of the kids who would audition would audition with like a pop song or a Broadway tune. Mm -hmm. 
She set all of us up for our auditions. We sang from this book called 24 Italian Songs and Arias. So, which is like one of the Bibles at LaGuardia. Like really? that's one of the books that everybody uses when they're a, vo- a voice major there. So I auditioned for high school singing Vittoria Mio Core. Was I good? I don't know. But I guess I had enough. They're not looking for, it's not a, you know, it's a public school. I mean, you do have to audition, but, you know, so she was, she was clever in so many ways. And, um, and that's when I start. but even like my favorite things, the one, like my favorite things to do in high school also were all choir because there were so many electives mm-hmm. that were choir at that school. Um, and including a gospel choir, which opened my my brain and my heart in so many ways. Um, and gospel music is something like that kind of uh, like Baptist, just I had not been exposed to that. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was like, oh, oh, this is God. Okay. Okay. Like it was just, it's just so moving to me. And we would go on the weekends, we'd go into like students to their churches, like in Brooklyn or wherever. And it was a very different church than the church I was brought up in. And, um, and it was thrilling. And uh, the only musical we did my whole four years there uh, was my senior year. We did a very appropriate kind of high school musical that everybody does. We did Follies, Mm -hmm. which is about old people. And, uh, and high school does it. Everybody does it. Yeah. And I played Carlotta. I sang, I'm still here. I was 17. Um, (laughs) yeah, it was amazing. Well, (laughs) I, I want to go back to something you said, um, that you found safety in numbers and that Mm -hmm. is knowing, knowing who you are. I want to, I want to dig into who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and, and I guess w- explain that a little bit more to us um, because it, it sounds like and some people are just like, I need to be at the front of the line. I need to be in the spotlight. Everybody else can stand behind me. And some people are like, I want to be in the back. So at, I guess, which, which one are you? It sounds like you were more like wanted to be in the middle in the, in the middle of a big group. Um, I guess, it, I guess to be honest, it depends on what it is. But I also, I think that the part I like the, I don't know, the most is true. One of the things I like about getting to be one of the ones in the front is that you also sometimes have the freedom to raise your hand and say, wait a minute. And not everyone, everyone should be afforded that but traditionally not everyone is traditionally principals tend to get a more uh, more of a say mm-hmm. if you will than ensemble and of course in, in certain situations that comes down to just time if you're doing summer stock you're slapping something up in 10 days we don't have time to discuss why on earth the you know third dancer from the left would turn it to the right like you just have to do it and, and that goes all the way up to even if you're playing, you know, the lead, like sometimes we just don't have to discuss it, just do it. Um, so I do, I very much like the creating of the things. And so that part I, I have discovered over 
now these many years, that I like to be in a position of being able to do that. Creative power. Yes, 100%. Um, But I, like, I've never wanted to do, uh, at one point I was asked to, someone was writing, nothing ever came to, to pass, but there was talk about me doing a, a one person show, not a one, not like a concert. That's just me, but it was like a, and I just kept thinking that sounds so lonely. <laughs> Part of what's fun is the, is the community that gets the chosen family. Yeah. And not every show becomes your chosen family. And I have absolutely learned that there are shows that I've done where I don't really see anybody from that show, but I can't think of a show that I've done honestly, where if I were to run into one of those people today on the street that I would be like, oh my gosh, hi. Like, you know, but they're not like part of my core of, but there are other shows that I've done where there are people I speak to every single day. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. So like a, like an alphaba, right? Let's, let's take one of the biggest, the biggest roles ever in the world at this point that gets the most attention. And I, I go back and I I talk about this a lot on the podcast that um, Patty Murin and I talked about, you know, having her having full on panic attacks and, and Desi Oakley having panic attacks while in the middle of her solos for waitress and whatnot. And the anxiety that people have, uh, I guess the pressure they feel, even in the middle of a show, to carry it and to be good and to be what people are expecting. Did you, did you feel that, pulling yes. that into Alphaba? Yes. I'm going to uh, tell you this. Every single witch loses her mind. Really? Every single one. The way that manifests is different with every person. But every one of them. It, it's... It is, I don't know what it is about that role. I don't know why that feels baked in. Like I, because if you want to talk, I mean, I think it is what you just said. Like there's an expectation layer going on, on the level that it's at and all that sort of stuff. I mean, when I did Wild Party, I did not lose my mind and I sang more in the Wild Party, but that was A, written on me, B, off Broadway, C, my first big anything. Like the, the, no one expected anything of me. Mm-hmm. No one knew who <laughs> I was. They're like, who? And, you know, so it's just different. And um, it, it, it definitely is. And also I will say like when I do wow party, chat boards did not exist. Yes. When I did wicked social media was barely in play. That's how long ago I did wicked. It was 06. So, I want to say, right. 06. Uh, Oh six, oh seven. Yeah, oh six, oh six tour. Broadway seven, yeah. But um, you know, it's very different for the women who do it now, who are, you know, are or are not choose or choose not to be a real presence on social media. I mean, we were before we started, we were talking about Jessica Voss, mm-hmm. who we both saw at Carnegie Hall last night. Amazing. Thank you very much. Amazing. Unreal. She sold it out. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, But. Um, <laughs> But Jessica, even before she was Alphaba, like she, she has a, an amazing grasp on a certain presentation to social media 
and now understand the Jessica that I know is much more and many more faceted than the person that she presents on social media, but that is her. Mm-hmm. It's not like you would meet her and be like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not, but she is comfortable with that. And she had found a way to do it where uh, it feels, com- it, it, there's a comfort level for her. And I didn't have to navigate that when I was doing Wicked because it wasn't a thing yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is definitely, uh, look, there's something, of course there is something un, you cannot replicate it in any other way. And it's so extraordinary to have this sort of natural high of being on that cherry picker and finishing the end of act one with a you know giant broom in the air. And as the, as you're frozen and the curtain starts to come down, you to be on the receiving end of the wave of roaring that comes from the audience is really special mm-hmm. and really freaking cool. And you can't deny that it is. I mean, but I did have to catch myself. I remember because like, as soon as the curtain's down is when they start to bring the cherry picker down and, there's a whole um, kind of system that happens where Mm -hmm. like, as soon as the curtain's down, I hand my broom down and someone's there and they just take it from the floor and because I'm still in the air and I hand my broom down and I unpin my hat and I hand my hat down, like things just happen. And I very distinctly remember one night starting the thing, like handing down the broom and blah, blah. And people were still applauding on the other side of the curtain. And I was like, you need to stop and soak that in because you were part, not all, but part of what, why they're still doing that. And if you just start to ignore it, then it becomes, it is a job. And that is the part that's tricky and that you cannot teach. And that I think people who are new to, especially anything that's a long run of something, get really sideswiped by. Um, And it becomes a job. And that's tricky. But sometimes I think you, I had to be like, it's also really cool. <laughs> oh, look, you got to, you got to be in the center of the thing. And people went, yay. So that feels nice. Well, do, you, do you feel the pressure to, I guess, be the Idina version of Alphaba? Yeah. Or is it no. like, I'm okay being the Julia version? I'm, I'm okay because there is no way on earth that I could be the Idina version because she is the Idina version. And regardless I mean, we could put aside the fact that I know her. I knew her then. I saw her opening night in Wicked because she's my girl. Like, uh, not even that, though. It's just, if you lined up now the 800,000 women who have played Alphaba, but even back then, I was like number five, I think, on Broadway. And if you lined even the five of us up, what's that? Adina, I, I can do it. Wait. Adina, Shoshana, Eden, Anna, and me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was the first five. We are very, very different women. Absolutely. The only thing the five of us have in common is that we all played that part. <laughs> <laughs> True. But you know what I mean? Like it's, we are different. We are different uh, humans. We are different, obviously, but we are also very different vocalists. We are very different actresses and everybody got to do it and got to nail it and make it be great. Well, I want to I want to compare this um, then to to Wild Party and um, 
got a little surprise uh, just to bring in. I, I want to bring in um, Mr. Andrew Lippa here. Oh my God, what? Because <laughs> Andrew. I just lost my Screaming at me. Hi, gorgeous. Oh, can't hear you, babe. Your mic. Where's your mic? Oh, sorry. Hopefully. <laughs> can you hear me now? Yes. Or, there you are. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, how's, uh, how's baby going? It's good. I mean, we have our fourth show tonight. I have rehearsal in a little bit, and uh, we're doing changes. and Changes? Nobody puts baby in a corner. Oh, yes. It, well, when I don't know if you've seen it, Lipa, but the God bless them. The um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The billing <laughs> that I did not know was coming. Julia Murney is baby. <laughs> Julia Murney in baby. Oh uh, yes, uh, yes. And, but <laughs> I was like, oh my god, nobody's in baby. It's an ensemble piece. Oh no, oh no. What do I Clearly, do? no, not anymore. Not not but, when not when Julia Murney does a show. It's no longer it's, Julia Murney in a chorus line. My favorite is that. Let's see uh, what else would be fun. Sorry, carry on. Your favorite is what? The the, uh, the theater, if you, I mean, it's a theater. It's a white room with chairs in it. But um, the place where we're doing it is just a random building on 36th Street. Like, you would not know it was in there unless that was where you were going. And so they put up just pieces of paper on the door in, to, for you to know that's where to go in. So right. there are these pieces of paper that say Julia Murney in baby and blah, blah, blah. And a friend of mine came the other night. He was like, I love the marquee. Yeah, that marquee fabulous. Is this, this, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's it's um, it, it's it's rem, reminiscent of our redolent of our youths. Indeed. Andrew, so. we were we were just discussing uh, uh, Wicked and the pressure that uh, Julia felt um, being Alphaba and whatnot. And she had just said previously that she felt no pressure doing Wild Party. It was one of the easiest gigs she ever had. Well, um, I did not say uh, that. Wait, wait, wait. See how politics works? <laughs> I'm going to be clear. What I said was I didn't lose my mind. It I know. I'm giving, I'm giving Andrew shit. Yes. The sun so, comes up. But so, I did not lose my mind the way Wicked makes you lose your mind. So, But Andrew, <laughs> the two... <laughs> yes. The two of you I met... I can't comment on that. <laughs> There's nothing to comment. It's just the truth. <laughs> but I'm a guest on the show. I'm supposed to have comments. Yeah. Alan, get your what? What is it? Sorry. The, okay. Alan's so you part of this conversation? I realized. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to be. No, I love. I love it when people who know each other for so long just uh, get reunited <laughs> like this. And I'm trying to find in my notes when it was the you met. Let's see. Oh, so 1996. It was an audition for Snapshots. Oh, right? that was a very good. That's very. You what? You tell. You, you tell that story Alan. better. That, you tell that story better than I do. I mean, honestly, I, I'll, I'll, I can tee it up, but. I, I can tell that story, but I was never sure of exactly what year it was. So it was, right? it was 1996. Yes, okay. I'm absolutely certain it was, it was 1996. Well, you're and very good with your years. So I that. was the music director and a vocal arranger of uh, a production of this musical called Snapshots. That is a, a Stephen Schwartz compendium show, but it's written with a book and and a full you know a full story written by David Stern, who I actually uh, co-wrote an original movie musical that's going into production, God willing, next spring with. Um, and uh, David Stern and I've been friends for over thirty years, uh, uh, not much longer than Julia and I. And Julia, uh, we were auditioning for one of the roles in that show, and Julia Murney came into the room. And what happened, Julia? 
And I went into the room and I was so excited because Stephen Schwartz was in the room and Stephen Schwartz wrote Pippin and Stephen Schwartz wrote, wrote Godspell. And I got my equity card doing Godspell as did half of humanity. And are we good? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was there. I was trying to underscore the conversation. But clearly, I know. But clearly, it's clearly, clearly I got uh, it. But uh, I, I sang my song. And Stephen Schwartz himself said, do you know Metal Lark? And I was like, yes, but I don't, I don't have it. Nobody sings no Metal it. Lark. No, it. And, Julia, um, Murray, Julia Murray is Metal Lark. Yeah, Julia Murray is Metal Lark. Um, and, <laughs> this way, on the marquee. And he turned to Andrew, who, is this right, Lip? That, uh, you, had you played second keyboards for Patti LuPone on Broadway? Is that right? I, I played second key. I was the associate music director to the great late Dick Gallagher. And that was my first probably gig. So Patty LuPone had just stop playing. It's Zoom. You can't. Do things with him. Now we're gonna sing. Till he's done. I have a hard out in ten minutes left. I wanted you to sing it later. Uh, but so he got up without any sheet music, and he went and played the living hell out of that song. I think you're missing one one thing. Uh, I looked at you and said. Do you do it in D major or E major? And and Julia said E major because of course then she gets to belt that very very high note. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm, and I'm gonna uh, uh, protest that because I have no idea what key I do it in. Well, that's I don't I, even know what the high note is in defining. I must have I must have then said like you're gonna do it in E I major. You made it. Yes, that would make more sense. <laughs> that is hilarious. And then then what did we do? We did. We always describe. So I finished this. the song and. He was amazing. And it was, as, as he has said in the past, it was like we had sex that day. And I finished. <laughs> and he po- Lip appointed at me and went, who are you? And I went, who are you? And this is in the middle of my audition. Like, we were, had suddenly started ignoring everyone Yeah, else. we had left the room, as you, it were. You ignored Stephen Schwartz at this point. We, yeah. we kind of did, unfortunately. But he seemed to be okay with it. In yeah. The well, you know, uh, uh, we've described, like, you know how egrets turn their heads sideways and look at each other, you know, <laughs> and they, 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 as, they, as they're about thinking about mating or whatever they do, egretting. And Julia and I did that. Like, we literally kind of turned our heads sideways and, and looked at each other from different angles. And it was like, what, what, how did you, are you, I feel like you're me, you're me, but you just look different and you sing different, but you're me. Are you me? And uh, it was a very strange experience to feel like, uh, for me, like I had met uh, someone who sang music, the way she sang metal, like, now I didn't write metal, like, of course, but, but, but in uh, it, how I play it and how I think of that song and the way I approach um performing, Julia and I had an unspoken uh, series of agreements as we were doing this with no rehearsal, and yet we synced up perfectly. And, and it, you, you, can, you can play for many people you don't know, and you can play for many people you don't know, and you've not ever done that song together. And you can have the same out, outward experience the audience might see or any witness would see, oh, they just did that together and it, was, it sounded amazing. But the two artists know if they connected on the, you know, the 30 second note level and the, 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 all of the commas and all of the breaths and all of the expression and that what's more important when and how you, how you make those decisions, uh, you know, milliseconds of decision, you know, uh, of moments 
all throughout a song like Meadowlark, any song that you do, you're making well, all these also, decisions. It's it's too, and this this felt magical because this was not without, like you just said, there was no rehearsal. There's we'd not even met really, but that it's two storytellers get right on the same page. Right, that's the better I always way of saying think it. When I'm teaching, unless you were standing by yourself on a bare stage, acapella, you are never doing a solo. At the very least, you are doing a duet between mm-hmm. yourself and a piano player. And then as you add every other instrument or lighting people or whatever, those people are and the audience, everybody's part of it. And so the, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know that I've ever had that kind of an alchemy moment with anybody else in it, Yes, it was a heightened moment because it was an audition and all that kind of stuff. But th- there was something even for the years that we then proceeded to work on Wild Party and Andrew kept writing it and rewriting it and all this kind of stuff that it just all sort of was easy to absorb into my bone marrow in a, in a certain way. And it, it was, it's just, it's a very, it's a very lucky thing to ever get to have. Andrew, it, it, it is. And uh, I've worked with a lot of different people as Julia has. And I think perhaps maybe a couple times in your life, you, you encounter somebody who are, or I should say, I have encountered somebody perhaps two times in my life who I, I feel um, that I'm the, I'm the composer and lyricist. They don't know how to be. And they're the singer. I don't know how to be. And somehow that, that we complete each other when we connect together. And Julie and I discovered that that day doing Metal Arc. And that was a really special experience because we've ne- I don't think we've ever in rehearsing anything we've done together. We never really talk about do it this way, do it that way. We just do it. You know, we just, <laughs> we just go through yeah. it and we like make decisions together, but we never have, there's no like, oh, I wish she would do it this way or I've got to reluctantly follow her in this way. She slows down at the wrong time. Like that never happens for either of us, I think. Yeah, I think the only other one I can think of in terms of the way they write is Candor and Ebb. Something about, the, but about both John and Fred's music and lyrics just go, they like, lock and load in my body. And have you worked with, you've worked with John oh, yes. in the room, yeah? That's, yeah? that's what a thrill, what a thrill that is, right? To it have our mentors, like Stephen Schwartz. And uh, I've, I've been recently on an uh, uh, email chain with Stephen Sondheim about a project that oh. he's included in that I'm curating for the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. And, um, and it's, we go back and forth in emails about all kinds of silly, wonderful uh, things. And he's been telling me stories about West Side Story in relation to my uh, getting married. A very funny story he shared with me the other day. And, uh, and I just pinched myself that we... You know, we've been fortunate enough to meet and and sometimes become friends with like Stephen Schwartz is very much a friend uh, as a result of that show, actually. I mean, I, I have to say, I, I like when I was in college, I dreamed of things like maybe I can be Fontaine. Like that was <laughs> that was what I thought about. Never, ever did it occur to me to think maybe I'll work with the men who wrote uh, uh, New York, New York. <laughs> hmm. Maybe I'll get to work with the gentleman who wrote the show uh, in which I got my equity card. And like to know that I could pick up a phone right now and I could call Stephen Schwartz or John Kander and they would take my call. They know who I am blows my mind. And I didn't know. And so for me, Lippa is special because we kind of 
came up together, if you will, a mm-hmm. little bit. And so he was unknown to me. I was unknown to him. And it it's just a, yeah. And, and Julia, Julia, sorry, Alan, go ahead. I was going to say some of the some of the best moments that I've found that I've heard are, are um, recently. I was interviewing all the guys from Freestyle Love Supreme and just like Chris Jackson and James Monroe Iglehart and you know even Lynn and Anthony Venanciali and all these guys knew each other before they were ever famous, before they have any ever ever had any credits, and now because of that, they've been through the beginning and now they're in the middle of the height of their careers and. I still love each other just as much as when they were struggling to make ends meet. I love, I love, love, love these stories. James James Monroe Iglehart lived in the Bay Area and worked at Theater Works Silicon Valley uh, early in his career. And I was developed, that's like my home base theater on the West Coast. And I've developed a, a number of titles at that theater. And James and I got to know each other very early on. And we developed several of my uh, titles out there, and then he made he decided to make the the leap and come to New York City, and boy, was that the right decision for him career wise. Wow! And, uh, <laughs> so, and great for all the rest of us who get to see him in everything. Right. So that's a that's quite a wonderful part of his story. Well, Julia, I know we are coming up on your hard stop, so I want to quickly get to my three. Closing questions I ask everybody. Andrew, feel okay. free to hang around and listen. So the first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? Oh, integrity. Ooh, I like that. All right. So the second one is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Well, I guess to that end, to answer number one, would be it's okay to follow what your gut says and to decide to as best you can to work with people who you feel are honest and open and not sketchy and, you know, backsliding and, and understanding that the further you get into show business, the more you learn, oh, sometimes a job needs to be taken because you need money or you need health insurance or whatever. Those are valid reasons to take a job. Know why you're taking the job such that so that when you get in there, you're not miserable and making everyone else miserable because you don't really want to be there. Mm. Be straight with why you're there. And it's going to make life a lot easier. I love that. Okay, last question, hard one. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh, son of a... You might need I... to say Wild Party, but I don't want to... <laughs> but that's only if I can see hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd have to watch myself and that would be awkward, so that's a no. Um, Sweeney Todd. Hmm. I'm going to say that uh, the original, I saw the original on Broadway. There's just so much to see, I guess. But that's a rough question because sometimes you're not in a Sweeney Todd mood. Yep. Sometimes you're in a, you know, Tina Turner mood. Like, like those are different moods. I love it. All right. Well, everybody, please go see Julia Murney in Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, check the show notes for tickets and Julia thank you so much for the conversation Lippa thank you for stream crashing this has been so much fun I've enjoyed thank it thank you thank you Alan take a deep breath make the world a little colorful 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.